Shalom Aleichem. Peace be unto you. I'm Pastor Butch Deer. You're listening to the Breath of Life Ministries podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Rick Struckle, and I'd like to begin tonight's podcast with a testimony, a praise report. My wife has been having trouble. She, she's been struggling to get a good night's sleep. And the other night or the other morning, she was on her way to work. She works in Gallipolis. She had spent the night in Marietta with our great-grandson, Noah. And she was almost to Gallipolis, and she fell asleep. Of course, she's in the right-hand lane, and her vehicle crossed the left-hand lane, banged into a guardrail, woke her up. She was able to get her car back on the road uh, just like nothing happened. And she could have, that stretch of road, she could have easily been in the Ohio River. And uh, I just want to give God all the glory and praise. I truly believe that God stands over his word and performs his word. And we have, since we got married, day one, we we have tithed. Our, the church we came out of, our church tradition, is you tithe, okay? You, there was no if, ands, buts, no argument, you tithe. And I, we, I was talking to her, and it just dropped in my spirit that God had rebuked the devourer for our sake. The book of Malachi says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. I'll open up the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing so much you cannot contain it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And I just want to praise God tonight because God definitely rebuked the devourer for the dear family's sake. And so I just want to give him praise and glory. Now, it is Passover season. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And I'm going to start out, I'm going to read uh, just a couple verses of Scripture here in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, because one of the uh, issues that people, or one of the questions people ask me is, you're a Christian, why do you keep Passover? Isn't that a Jewish festival or feast? Well, I'm going to read you what God says about it, and then we're going to bring Pastor Rick in on this. But it says in Leviticus 23, And the Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So these aren't Jewish feasts. These are feasts of God. Now, Pastor Rick, that word feast there, you and I were discussing uh, in the Hebrew, we determined it was Moedim. Can you expand on that? Yeah, the, this is uh, sometime when you when you get translations. Now, again, they're translating a word that implies the idea of, of a feast or a festival, but they have a deeper meaning this. As you mentioned, uh, this word is used uh, in Scripture in Hebrew as Moedim, God's appointed times. You see this also in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, when God talked about creating the sun, moon, and the stars for the seasons. And see, when we look at this great big clock in heaven, the 
the, the sun, moon, and the stars were able to tell time. These are God's appointed times. So it's kind of interesting. God gave us the sun, moon, and, and the stars, not just for times, but for God's appointed times. These are appointments that God makes with humanity, that God interacts with humanity. And these are significant in regard to our understanding of what God is accomplishing. And so therefore, he has, he has created this calendar so that we would be in the light of, of God's truth of what he's doing. You know, he's not leaving us like orphans. He's not leaving us blind. But his word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And it lets us know what God is doing. Not only that, but I believe it's God's prophetic clock. We talk, we'll talk about the first and second coming of the Lord. I think that teaching that I got so many years ago so excited me to understand when you read Exodus 12, that Passover, I, the Passover Seder that we as Christians do celebrate tells us the story of Christ in such a profound manner. Amen. It enriches our life. And now when we take communion and we take the body and the blood of Jesus Christ to remember what he has done, that last week and that day that Jesus had uh, uh, that uh, a Passover setting with his disciples, he communicated something that became a reality to them because as he said, he said he desired to eat this particular Passover with them because it was going to be the living reality now of God's redemptive work that he was providing through that meal that tells the story of God's salvation plan in Christ. Amen. So what you're saying is the feast days, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Shavuot, or uh, the Christian church calls it Pentecost, these all point to Christ Jesus. Absolutely. So for me as a Christian, could I say, answer someone who says, why do you keep these feasts? Well, it's because they're all about my Savior, my King, Jesus. And it helps me to understand what he did at Calvary much more better, as that old Cajun cook would say. Absolutely. <laughs> Matter of fact, in the book of Hosea, God says, I'll come to you as the rains, the former rain and the latter rain. When we talk about the former and latter rain, we're talking about the comings of the Lord. You know, there was a great dispute in the time of Christ of understanding when the rabbis would read about this coming Messiah that they came to a conclusion that there were some prophecies about this suffering Messiah, which, as you know, they labeled as Messiah ben Yosef. And then this other Messiah, as you know, was Messiah ben David, who was the coming king. And it seemed like it, 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 they were paradoxical. And they, they didn't know if it was two comings, uh, or same Messiah, or two different Messiahs. Matter of fact, you know, when I think a confusing story uh, is, if you remember in the Gospels, uh, that uh, John the Baptist has sent one of uh, his disciples to talk to Jesus and says, are you the coming one? Are we looking for another one? And yet we read in the scriptures that Jesus, John said that he came baptizing to point out that this was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so he wasn't too sure. And then Jesus had to tell him, you go tell John that the blind see, 
The deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. And that's the one that's really challenged John, the dead are raised. Because when you read that Isaiah text, it doesn't say anything about the dead being raised. So he knew. And he said, now blessed is the man who keeps from stumbling. So uh, John was like others, wondering, well, you know, if you're the Messiah, and we were always taught when Messiah comes, you're going to defeat our enemies, and you're going to set up your kingdom, then why am I a Macarius? Why am I in prison? Right? That's a fair question, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Because they were looking for, not just John, but the disciples even asked Jesus in Acts 1, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right. And he said, you know, my only my father knows that. You know, you, you need to stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. And then they're again on the road to Emmaus when uh, the disciples are walking and Jesus comes along, they don't recognize him. And uh, he said, he, uh, one of the disciples says, we really thought that he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. In other words, we really thought he was going to kick the Romans out of town, you know, and, and restore Israel. But he didn't come that first time to do that, did he? No, not at all. He came to get to the root problem of their oppression, right? Mm -hmm. So he came the first time as the Lamb of God, correct? Yes. Now, John 12 gives us some specific information. Six days before, in John 12, one, six days before Passover, he goes to Bethany. Mm -hmm. It would be the next day, that he would ride into Jerusalem. Now, why is that so significant, that John would add that little bit of information? Well, I, I think that, as you know, when you read the account in Exodus where God delivers the children of Israel uh, through the uh, sacrificial lamb, and he tells Moses, this is the beginning of months for you. And then, then Moses is now becoming awakened that God says, I'm, I'm giving you a new calendar to understand some things. And so he says, I want you now to uh, take a lamb on the 10th day of that month. And we all know what that date was on the, uh, uh, on, uh, the month of Nisan, um, the 10th day. That was Lamb Selection Day. Lamb Selection. We call it Palm Sunday today. Yes, yes. That's the day God had planned. And so he said, in the future, you're mm-hmm. going to see that I'm starting this new calendar. And so you're going to take that lamb. And on the 10th day, you're going to pick that lamb. And, and then, you know, as they know, in the tradition, they were to examine that lamb all week, make sure there was no defect in that lamb. There was no, no disease in that lamb. And matter of fact, they even inspected the lamb, its inward parts, there was no defect in it. Well, as we know, Jesus now, who is the lamb of God, uh, spends the next several days being inspected by all the religious people. He's asked all kinds of biblical questions and by what authority does he do this or what are the greatest commandments? And he's being inspected them and, sh- and he's showing himself spotless. He's showing himself uh, more than adequate when it comes to Torah. And so when you see that 10th day and he comes in from Bethany and from Bethpage and, and he's coming down there, what a day. 
And they had just got done experiencing the resurrection of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it said they were rejoicing because of the miracles. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9, 9, where he said, Behold, thy king cometh mounted on a, a colt, colt and a donkey. And they start quoting Psalms 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving palm branches. What an event that day was. And he's fulfilling scripture before our very eyes. And I think that's why John records that to get a picture that the very one God had called before the foundation of the world was finally coming to his people. And that, to me, speaks volumes of how we ought to think about Passover and the days we're living as we're getting prepared for the second coming. Oh, amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, Jesus, now, so he is, he's being inspected. He's being questioned. Mm -hmm. We know he's questioned by Caiaphas. Mm -hmm. I kind of lean towards the teaching that, you know, he Jesus kind of had an, an argument with uh, John the Baptist, a little disagreement. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, "I need I need you to baptize me," and John said, "Oh man, I need you to baptize me," and Jesus said, "No, you 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 need to do this for me," and so John, being a son of Zechariah, a son of Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was of the lineage of Aaron. So John was in that priestly lineage. He could baptize Jesus, right? Jesus also, and priests were baptized. Priests were anointed. We know Jesus was anointed by Mary. Uh, and then he's, he's being questioned by Caiaphas, right? He's being questioned by Caiaphas, and Caiaphas puts him under oath. Are you the son of God? And he says, it is as you said. Mm -hmm. And Caiaphas tears his robe, right? Mm -hmm. I believe that the tearing of that robe annulled that corrupt priesthood, allowing Yeshua, Jesus, not only to go to the cross at Calvary as the Lamb of God, but as our new high priest offering up that sacrifice. Is that, you think that fits? Yeah, I I, I, I think it fits appropriately, and I always like to go to uh, the book of Hebrews when it speaks about this, and uh, it gives us, I believe, some insight into what was taking place there, that it enriches us, especially when he, he talks about the high priest. And it's said in chapter 9 of Hebrews that when Christ appeared as high priest of the good thing to come, he entered through a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not to say of this creation, but he came, as it says here, to a time of reformation. There was a reformation going on here at this time. Jesus was changing some things because he was fulfilling God's word. And so for us as believers in getting back a little bit about the significance of Passover, and I would say as a Jew in the first century and the oppression of the Romans, I would I would hope, as we would like to see Jesus come back right now, right? Amen. Amen. Have him come back, set up your kingdom, I'm good to go. But you know, there's something else that I think kind of, they didn't realize till later. And in that first coming, as you know, we have one Messiah, 
but two comings. And there was a mystery to be revealed. And that mystery was the Gentiles are part of this plan. <laughs> That's us. That's us, guys. That's why it's so important yes. for us to understand Passover. We This is the whole message, the revelation Paul got now, that when Christ came back and was resurrected and see it the heavenly right now beside the Father, that now Paul is to go out there and make this mystery, mysterion in the Greek, known that we are fellow heirs. We are part of God's redemptive plan. So I can understand why the Jews of the first century say, yes, let's get on with it. God said, I'm not done yet. I got sheep of another fold here. I got to bring them in. So the next 2,000 years, what are we experiencing? We're experiencing the move of the kingdom of God. And Gentiles from all over the world is coming into it. But as we do know, we talked about this last week, that there is going to be a time when the times of Gentiles will cease and God is going to go right back to his clock and go deal strictly with Israel and the land of Israel and Jerusalem being the centerpiece of what God's doing. And I think that whole story is told in that Passover narrative. Amen. So let's go back to the first Passover that we know of and that you and I were talking, you know, uh, this is not the first time the children of Israel came out of Egypt, right? You were, you mentioned that Abraham also came out of Egypt and Abraham was blessed with gold and silver and flocks, right? That story was told ahead of time before it literally happened. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And so the Bible tells us that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the wealth of the Egyptians was heaped upon them. Absolutely. Just like yeah, their father, Abraham. Abraham. Wow. That's powerful. So God commands them to inspect this lamb. They paint the blood over the doorpost. The death angel passes over. And then they, they the next day, or, or they eat the, the lamb, and they eat unleavened bread, and the next day they leave Egypt headed to the promised land. Amen? And so... The Word of God tells us that in Jeremiah 31, that God brought them out, brought them to himself to be a husband to them. And one of our old teachers, Dwight Pryor, always said, Passover is the greatest love story ever told. Absolutely. And you know, uh, the Bible says God remembered, but it wasn't like God was forgetting uh, he made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the promised land. And so God brought them out and brought them fulfilled, brought them to the promised land. So, and we know that Jesus was the Passover lamb. Uh, he was without spot or wrinkle. We know that he's also the unleavened bread, right? Absolutely. He was without sin. We know that he was the first fruits offering, mm-hmm. right? They now correct me if I'm wrong, you jump in here anytime, but the the they would bring the the tradition was they would bring the first of the barley harvest and they would take it to the south end of the temple, up the steps, and they would wave it before God as a first fruits offering. Now that first fruits offering guaranteed the rest of the harvest would be plenteous. So Jesus now is our first fruits offering. That's what Paul calls him. Mm-hmm. 
And his resurrection guarantees our resurrection? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) But that wasn't God's goal for Passover, was it? Wasn't the goal 50 days later at Pentecost or Shavuot? Well, as I said earlier, in the book of Hosea, it says, I will come to you as the rain. We all realize there's two coming. And they thought it was the first coming. And then that story finally got cleared up. They, I think they come to realize that the disciples begin to say, he's coming again and get ready soon. But when you read this Leviticus uh, chapter about the festivals and their God's appointments, uh, we know on the 14th day of the month of Nisan is when the Passover lamb is sacrificed at 3 p.m., correct? Mm-hmm. On the 15th day begins what we call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's when Jesus is dead, uh, buried, and resurrected. Then on the first day of that week, that's that Sunday morning, uh, that's where the barley harvest, he's resurrected. So Jesus fulfills Passover, unleavened bread, and the Feast of first fruits Amen. in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then right after that, it, it tells us in Leviticus, you're to count seven sevens and add one Sabbath. And that gives you 50 days. So we know in this first coming, Jesus literally, and when we talk about God's appointment, it's when God breaks into human history and fulfills his word. Remember, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus literally came into the earth and he fulfilled Passover unleavened bread, feast of first fruits, but then you count 50 days. And where does that take us to? Shavuot. It is the same period of time that Moses took them out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai. And they were given Torah. But in Acts chapter 2, that's why they were all there to celebrate the feast because God wanted an attendance there. And when the Holy Spirit would be poured out, they were there commemorating the giving of Torah in Exodus 19. But really, it was when God now was pouring out his spirit. And I think this is something that we as Christians need to really embrace. We talked about this last week, about the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem. You know, when the work was completed on the tabernacle, it said when it was finished in the last chapter of Exodus, the glory filled that house. Amen. And then when it, the temple was built in Jerusalem, Solomon built on that day that he offered that prayer and, 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 and dedicated the temple, the glory filled that house. Well, you and I know that the true temple of God is his people. And on the day of Pentecost, God filled that house with his glory again with his tongues of fire. Amen. On those believers, man. Amen. God completed all the work of the first coming on those first four feast days. That's what I believe, that he talks about coming as the rain. That was the former rain. Now we're expecting the latter rain. And these are the last three feasts to be fulfilled in person by Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus asked the Father in John 17. He said, glorify me. And I believe that, you know, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, these tongues of fire, the, the, the voice of God rested upon these individuals, and everybody heard the uh, good news in their own language, 
And Peter stands up, you know, the same Peter that has denied knowing Jesus. 50 days earlier. <laughs> yeah, 50 days earlier. 50 days. You know, stands up and says that this is proof that this Jesus whom you have crucified is now seated or glorified at the right hand of the Father and has poured out his spirit on all flesh. And and in in that, that's where the, the Passover love story is told. You know, you talked about the tabernacle. We talked about it last week. And when they set that tabernacle up, it was right in the middle of the children of Israel, the 12 tribes, their encampment. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, God's presence dwelling there. God's presence was in the temple. And now God's presence was in you and I, in God's people. So that brings me to another story here in John. When Jesus said on the cross, his last words, it is finished. And the veil of the temple rent in half. Was that symbolic that God no longer would dwell in temples made by hands, but he would dwell in temples made by his own hands? Well, you know, there's a whole lot there. Oh, no, there's a whole lot there. I'm not talking about a future temple, okay? Yeah. That, that, you know, the, the love story is God dwelling in his people. Absolutely. God always dwells in his people. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. God is building a temple. And we read in the book of Hebrews that Christ is building a house whose house we are. And it's a temple in the spirit and the glory of Amen. God. The glory of God. And I believe that's why in that Passover story, as we talked earlier, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the preparation of the Passover and the, the drinking of the cup and eating of the bread. But John spends chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 on the conversation and how he talked about the Holy Spirit and the work, the Spirit of God working inside of us and preparing us. And then when you get to chapter 17, which many call Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. I and you, you and me, we and them, that the world might know that thou hast sent me. And the same love you loved me is in them. I believe Jesus is wanting his people to become this house in the spirit, the dwelling place. And we have to cooperate that in our love with one another. And I believe in the Passover story, you know, we're coming together. He's, you, you talked about God marrying Israel there in Exodus 19. Well, we also know that there is the bride, that's us, and Christ who's the bridegroom. And that he's coming to gather us and bring us together. And I believe in that story of the Passover, it illuminates us to the role we play and the significance of how we live our life in the story of Passover, experiencing the reality of God's redemption, grace, love, and faithfulness to us. And in that Passover Seder, that whole story is told. Amen. Amen. I'm uh I'm I'm ready for a wedding supper of the lamb. <laughs> Amen. There's there's uh, one one thing that I overlooked in John's gospel. Um 
And I think it's very significant. You know, the uh, the lamb had to be inspected for five days. We know Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and I can't imagine what it was like for those people because uh, not only was he doing the miracles that they believed only the Messiah could do, you know, they, they believed he was the king, that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. But, you know, this wasn't the first time that a king rode into Jerusalem on a donkey or a mule. Solomon did that. Absolutely. David said, put him on my mule. Absolutely. And so by putting him on on David's mule, that was this equivalent, I believe, that Solomon's going to take my throne. Mm-hmm. And so they were so excited for this. I just, I would have loved to have been there, you know, to see this. But he was the Lamb of God. And so there were certain things that he had to fulfill. He had he had to take on the cup of fury. You know, we talked earlier that he prayed in the garden, uh, take this cup from me. And we were talking about Isaiah 51, how God promised Israel. He said, you've, you've drank of the cup of my fury, but I'm going to take it out of your hand and put it in the hand of your enemy. And so when Jesus prays, let this cup pass from me. He was praying that the the cup of God's fury could pass from him, but he went ahead and he drank of that cup and took the wrath of God, the penalty of your sin and mine upon himself. But in order for him to do that, he had to be declared the spotless lamb of God. And so the religious leaders, they've grilled him. I think they're frustrated with him and they drag him to Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. And Pontius Pilate, I think he gets frustrated with the whole thing. And he finally comes out. He asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you said. But he comes out, Pilate comes out and he says, now this is the highest ranking Roman official in Jerusalem at the time. And he says, I find no fault in this man. Did Pilate just pronounce Jesus the spotless lamb of God? Unknowingly, but but did he pronounce Jesus? Did he qualify him to be the lamb of God? You know, as I've read (laughs) scriptures these many years, there are some unusual stories (laughs) And uh, um, ideas that God is able to convey through people you would never think. And here we've got a pagan, uh, one who doesn't worship God, (laughs) who is actually uh, interviewing Jesus even to the point of saying, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you? But you know what Jesus said to him? You would have no power over me. Amen. If it were not given you from above. And so I don't know if Pilate really understood what was going on. Oh, I I'd like to, but you know, his wife did come to him and had a dream and said, yeah. I have nothing to do with this man. So I think that Pilate uh, kind of did what he needed to do. I think, number one, he found nothing that he had done worthy of death. And so he declared him not guilty, which would be a testimony from God in the scripture. But on the same token, he said, you know what? Uh, there is a tradition that we have here. I'm going to let you make a decision here. 
on who you want me to release for your Passover. I think there's another grand story in that and, and, and reference of the choices that people make. And um, it's essential to us as believers that when we really look at this story, as I had mentioned to you earlier, we have 89 chapters in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One-third of those chapters, one-third of the book, of all the Gospels, deal with one week mm-hmm. in the life of Christ. When John tells us if we recorded everything Jesus ever did and every miracle, there's probably not enough books in the world. So to me, that's that week of Passover week. By the time the Lamb of God enters Jerusalem till his death, burial, and resurrection. To me, it seems like God says, I want you to get this point. And what better place to understand the significance of what Christ had come to do and the story that was, uh, that was presented back in the Exodus is revealed in these Gospels. And you as a Christian celebrating Passover will get some insight into what God was doing all throughout history and telling them, I want you to rehearse this every year as a perpetual ordinance. I personally believe that we as believers in Yeshua should keep that Passover because it teaches us things about it. We know that faith in Christ Jesus, confessing Christ, and faith is all part of our role in our right standing with God. But there is something that I think even <clears throat> prophetic about the coming of the Lord and what God is doing in the hour we're living that you can understand by celebrating a Seder Passover. I think it's important <clears throat> to every believer. Amen. Amen. So we know Jesus fulfilled all the spring feasts. Yes, he did. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Shavuot, or Pentecost. In his first first coming. So briefly, in closing, I'm going to ask you a question. If he fulfilled the four spring feasts, shouldn't we believe that he'll fulfill the three fall feasts? Well, that's the conclusion I came to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, this is, again, why it's so important for the believer in Christ to be familiar with God's calendar. And we talked about this last week. You know, God used a lunar calendar. We use a solar calendar. And, you know, there was a great debate in the fourth century over the Passover and how it should be celebrated. And the early followers of Christ were vehement that it's supposed to be celebrated on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, which is the first uh, um, month of that religious year. And Constantine did not want anything to do with it. And he was very anti-Semitic. He did not want to celebrate any of the Jewish festivals or appointed times. He wanted to somewhat distinguish Christianity away from any Mm -hmm. Hebraic, but yet Passover is the fulfillment of our New Testament faith in Christ Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And so, evidently, I think, you know, in a deeper sense, the adversary has something to do with this to create division and strife. And it did. It separated the empire over this. People really debated over it. But, you know, as we read in Acts chapter 3, when Peter stood up, he said that Jesus was going to be in heaven to all things that the prophets had declared would be restored. I think we're in a day of restoration. 
I believe we, Amen. as Gentile believers in Christ, is getting back to those appointed times that give insight to God's prophetic nature and His second coming. How we should live, what we should know, uh, how we how we should be equipping saints to know the time and the season. We know we're not we're not supposed to know the day of His coming. I get that, but we, but one thing He just tells us: we need to be ready. And I think it's celebrating a Passover Seder that helps us prepare ourselves and look forward to that second coming. So I, I believe all those things that we teach in our Seders like that really helps the believer to get more and more acquainted with their Bible and to see this miracle unfolding before our eyes, God giving a sight and insight to the times in which we live. These things are being restored in our day. Amen. Amen. I think that's a good place to, to wrap this up. The Passover, what you just said about reading the Bible, seeing Jesus in the Passover, it's helping us grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. Amen. I do want to say this. By keeping Passover, we're not trying to be Jewish. No, not at all. Not at all. We're trying to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God and His Son, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Well, I'm glad that you've listened to Breath of Life Ministries. I'm Pastor Butch along with Pastor Rick Struckle. Until next time, may God bless you and God keep you.